join me in prayer. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the amazing words we just sang. When I think about all that you did for us, for me, and how unworthy I am of that, it is what makes your grace so amazing. Lord, I confess before my brothers and sisters in Christ that I stand here feeling wholly inadequate to try to exalt you, to try to explain you, to try to rightly divide the word of truth. And yet I know it is not me, but your spirit in me. It is not them, but your spirit in them that will make this communication possible. And so I pray right now for the voice of this speaker, that you would shut it when it needs to be shut, that you would open it when it needs to be opened, that it would be your spirit speaking through me. And I pray for the ears of those hearing, that you would open them to the truth and the beauty of who you are. Lord, it is a supernatural thing that we are encountering right now. Because apart from your spirit and your presence in this place, these are just words on a screen and voices rattling. And yet because of you and what you have done, and because we know and have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God, we trust that you have paid the ransom because our, your spirit lives in us now. Speak to us as we continue to worship you in the word of God. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your truth. In the name of Jesus, I pray all of this. And all of God's people said, amen. Please be seated. And good morning. It's good to be back. I just, um, man, I love the hymns. There was so much truth there. I felt like I felt like tossing this out of the way and just saying, let's put those words back up on the screen and let's just read those over and over again this morning. I mean, there's such great gospel truth in what we just sang. So thank you, team, for leading us in that. I so appreciate it. We are nine weeks, believe it or not, nine weeks already into this series in the Gospel of John as we journey through um, this um, series with Jesus, and, and not just in his gospel, which is what we're covering on Sundays, but in some of the other gospels in your daily readings throughout the week. And the first message that we taught on, and back in the 1st of September, was um, out of John 20. And in John 20, 21, Jesus said this, Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And that's where we get the theme of this whole series that we're in called Sent to Make Disciples. Jesus is saying to us today, As the Father sent me to multiply myself into other people, I am sending you to go out and make disciples. So as we, as we talk about what we're going to talk about today or throughout this series, don't just take it as this is Jesus' message to his 12 disciples at the time, but it is his message to us today to take to a world that needs to hear about the gospel. In other words, make it personal, like make it personally relevant because it is. You know, there used to be back, back when I was um, fairly early in my faith walk, 20-something years ago, you know, the WWJD, what would Jesus do bracelets were really popular. I was never a huge fan of that because what I realized was it wasn't what would Jesus do, but it was, simple, it was more simple than that. Just do what Jesus did, right? That's the theme of the series. Do what Jesus did and we'll be living our lives the way we're supposed to because that's what he tells us to do. To walk in a man, to walk, anyone who calls himself his should walk in the same manner in which he walked, is what John tells us in his letter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. But all of that brings us to today's message. Here's today's message. Sent to say hard things. Sounds uplifting, doesn't it? Sent to say hard things. But it's where we're at in John, and we're going to go through it. 
Jesus was sent to, to set the record straight. He was sent to speak words of grace, but also truth. And just like he was sent to speak hard things, we are sent to say hard things. But have you ever noticed that we sometimes talk around the hard conversations? Right? Whether that be among each other as the body of Christ, we were at retreat a couple of weeks ago, we had a lot of time together to talk, or even as simply as simple as husbands and wives. We will talk about symptoms of problems rather than getting to the heart of the issue. We will talk about details rather than driving to the main point, even in our own conversations. And what we're going to see today is Jesus very intentionally and bulldogmatically refused to be that way. He would always just jump to the heart of the issue. If you need a Bible today, raise your hand. Someone will put it in because we will be in the Word a lot today as we are every Sunday here at Cornerstone. Um, but we are here to talk today about are you willing to do the hard things? Are you willing to follow Jesus even in the hard stuff? And that would include even in the hard conversations that we need to have with each other. The scene we're going to look at today is, guys, get this, I'm not, I'm not speaking in hyperbole. The scene we're looking at today is the turning point in the ministry of Jesus Christ in the three years he was here. That, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that all by itself ought to perk your ears to want to listen and take notes. What we're going to look at today is the turning point in the life of Christ. So it's really, really important for us to pay attention today. So that brings us to our first point. Are you fully expecting to understand in order to believe? So turn to John chapter 6. It's where Jeff left us last week. Was it the second half of the gospel of John chapter 6? Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Open it up to John chapter 6. And we're going to pick it up and see. Are you expecting to fully understand in order to believe? Now before we jump in, I'm going to start in verse 41. But I'll, I'll make it a little like as even in our own personal relationships. For example, if Carrie or one of my daughters comes to me with an issue, especially if it's an issue about me, some way that I've maybe addressed them, talked to them, some, whatever, I will often start to try to reason it out, come up with excuses, get lost in the details of, yeah, but wait a minute, you know, and I'll just make up something. You were 20 minutes late for dinner. Instead of hearing her heart, which would be, hey, I worked hard to plan dinner and have it ready. You said you were going to be home at 5.30. You didn't get home until 5.50. It's not about the 20 minutes. It's about the fact that I planned dinner and you don't appreciate the fact that I've taken the time to plan it as demonstrated by being late. Here's my problem. Rather than hearing her heart, and this is just a, an example, I will argue I wasn't 20 minutes late for dinner. I was only 15 minutes late for dinner. As if those five minutes matter. Right? But we do that all the time about all kinds of little things. And we're going to see that's exactly what the disciples of Christ, and I'm not talking about the twelve. Jesus had many more disciples than just the twelve. Right up until about the time we're going to look at today. So let's pick it up in verse 41. And we're going to see that often we deny what is being said to us because we don't fully understand it. We don't fully believe it. We don't fully hear it. It says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, now say, I have come down out of heaven? 
Guys, the cynic and the skeptic will always want to argue details. And we've seen that over and over already in the first nine weeks of this series. Whether it was the Pharisees, whether it was the woman at the well, whether it, whoever it was, we see that they want, to, they want to argue with Jesus about details. That's who I was for the first 24 of my 48 years. I, and because that's who I was for 24 years, and my death and my, my, my flesh is still not fully dead, is still not fully crucified with Christ, that is still at some level in my flesh who I am. I want to argue details even with Jesus. My teachers used to call me pugnacious Doug. No, you may not call me that. Pugnacious means argumentative. I always wanted to argue details because I didn't want to get to the truth. And that's what the cynic will do over and over. But Jesus, again and again, and we'll see it right now, he jumps right past the detail. Wait a minute, what's this whole bread of life thing? And, it come, and how could he be the bread of life if he was from Nazareth and we know that he's Joseph and Mary's son? And, and they're arguing about all these details and he's going to punch right through it and go, here's what matters. So let's take a look at it in verse 33. Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. He's like, don't waste time with the yeah buts. In our family, we call it the yeah buts. We say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I, I do that all the time in my life. I, I claim a promise of God with one half of my brain, and the other half of my brain is going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I confront one of my daughters about a sin issue in their life or about something that they were doing or about just being disobedient, and the very next thing that I'll get from them is, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, because they learned that from me. In fact, when Kylie was little, she was the chief of the yeah, buts. I mean, when she was this bald little two-and-a-half-year-old, I think the first words she learned were, yeah, but. And I would say to her, Kylie, when you're about to hear the words, yeah, but, come out of your mouth, shut it. Because the next words that come out of your mouth are going to be a sin. They just are. And that's true in your dad. And it was, and still is. So here, here come the yeah, buts. He's like, stop yeah, butting. Stop arguing. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He's gonna, he, he blows right past the yeah, buts and goes, here's the deal. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. What does that have to do with the bread of life? We'll see that in a few minutes. I will raise him up on the last day. And it is written, the prophets, it is written in the prophets, as they, as they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Do you see what he's doing? They're going to argue the details. What's this whole bread of life thing? How can you be the bread of life? What's this, what are we talking about? And, they're going to, and he blows right past it. Uses two phrases. No one comes to God unless my father draws him. And if my father draws him, he will have eternal life. Now Paul, in, one, in the last letter he writes, 25 years before John writes his gospel, writes this. Remind them, that's the church, us, of these things, that's the truth of the gospel, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads, them to the, leads to the ruin of the hearer. He's saying don't let the confusion about what the gospel is and about some of the nuances of the gospel, don't let that get, pat, don't let, don't get lost in that confusion. But right after he says don't wrangle about words, he says this, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now that's my job up here this morning, and that's your job as a follower of Jesus Christ. When we come to the word, do we accurately handle the word of truth? And 
they want to argue about the bread, and Jesus is saying, no, here's what I want to talk to you about. Anyone who's going to come to me and eat this bread is drawn by God. Now, guys, that leads to one of the hardest things that Jesus talks about in John chapter 6. And it is, it is something we talk about here often. And it is, this, it is these two grand pillars of our faith that are found throughout this book, the Bible, throughout the Old New Testament. And they are God's complete sovereignty and our complete responsibility. When he says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, he is saying God is a completely sovereign God. There are no rogue molecules. There are no chance moments that God is never shocked, that God is never surprised. And guys, we should praise the Lord that he is a God like that. We should praise God that he is completely sovereign over everything. He doesn't leave anything to chance. And yet, we are not all little robots and little pieces on a a chessboard that he's just moving around. How does that work? The answer is, I have no idea. Because I'm not God. But it doesn't change what Jesus says here. It is like two pillar, or like the two tracks of a train, of a train, um, track. They, they go on and on and on. As far as I can see, they never cross, but they are both needed for the train to run. For us to really worship God, we have to believe him to be the sovereign God he is, and at the same time know that we are completely responsible for everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, and where we're going to end up in eternity. How does that work? I don't know, but let's keep going and hopefully we'll get a little glimpse of it. The two words I want to focus on in this first little section are one, the first is the word eternal. Jesus is saying anyone who comes to me will have eternal life. Forget this bread bread from heaven stuff. Just come to me and have eternal life. Well, what does that word eternal mean? Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is to the right of where we are in in John. You're going to go past um, Acts, past Romans, past 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians is the next book. If you get to Colossians, you've gone too far. Um, or Philippians or Colossians, you've gone too far. Ephesians chapter 1. All the word eternal means is perpetually existing. Perpetually existing. Existing all the time. It, when Jesus says have eternal life, he is saying you, have per, you are perpetually existent. You have existed now look at, what, look at how Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3 is where I'm going to pick it up. This is how, this is Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's laying out the gospel. We're just going to look at a few verses. He starts, though, with this thought about the sovereignty of God and the eternality of our salvation. Because here's the question I want to ask as we read this passage. When were you saved? When were you saved? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it not just in this passage. We're going to go to another passage, too, in a minute, and we're going to see it's more confusing than you think. Sort of a trick question, but when were you saved? Let's look at what Paul says. Verse, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, 
according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Guys, when you start looking at that passage and you start looking at those words like that he, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, what, what Paul is telling us is that at some time in eternity past, God chose us in him. How does that work? I don't know. Right? We're not, we weren't little spirit children. We weren't, it's none of that. It's not that. It is that here, here's what it is, and we'll talk about this as we go along this morning. Jesus, or God, Jesus, exists outside of time. We read the words before the foundation of the world as linear sequential beings. God does not see it that way. To him, the before the foundation of the world was the same moment in time that Jesus died on the cross, and it was the same moment in time that you came to a knowledge of faith in Jesus. So the question is, when were you saved? Well, even in Ephesians 2.10, right? If, if you turn the page and you go Ephesians 2.10, it says, For you were created in Christ Jesus for good works that what? That he prepared beforehand. Guys, if we're going to believe David in Psalm 139, where he says, All our days are numbered when as yet there was not one. What does that mean? If God is not sovereign, how can that be true? All our days are numbered when as yet there was not one. He's saying the day of your birth, the day of your death, and every day in between is laid out by God. Because he knew God, Old Testament, King David, knew God to be the sovereign God that he is. Guys, here's the deal. If God is not sovereign over every human life, he left to chance the crucifixion of his son, Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? Because if God is not sovereign over Judas then how was Jesus going to get betrayed and crucified at the time that God wanted him crucified? But here's the mind-blowing part of it. Judas is not in hell, if that's where Judas is, going, God put me here. Judas was completely responsible for the decision he made. How do I know that? Here's how I know that. Go back to the Gospel of John. But instead of going to John 6, go to the beginning. We looked at this the first the second week of the series, go to John 1. Look at verse 12. We looked at this in the second week of the series. John 1 verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Guys, that word received there, and I talked a lot about it that week. It was the second week of the series message. You can, you can check them all out online if you want to. Is the word lambano in the Greek. And here's what, here's what it means. That word received is lambano in the Greek. And here's what that word means. It means that the gift, received means there was a gift given by a giver. But the outcome of the, of the action, of the interchange, is completely reliant on the one receiving the gift. Did you hear what I just said? The gift was given by God in this case, as many as received him. But the outcome of the action is completely dependent on the one receiving the gift. This time of year, holidays coming up, UPS drivers are going crazy. We have one among us. There he is, right? This is his favorite time of year, Dwayne. And, but get this. We get a lot of them at our house, a lot of packages at our house. I don't want to point fingers, but I will. And we get a lot of packages at our house. But here's the thing. 
Here's how packages or UPS drivers deliver them, because they got a place to go. Pull up their truck, turn it off. I don't really understand the turning it off thing, but they turn it off because they're only out of the truck for like three seconds. They run up to your door, they throw it down, they ring the bell, they run back to the truck because they got a lot of things to do. Has that package been delivered? Sort of. But it's not received. I mean, if, if all I do is let them pile up on my front store, on my front steps, has it been delivered fully? No, I have to go outside, pick it up, grab it, take it, open it, or it's not been received. Does that make sense? God is like the UPS driver. He delivers the package. But if we don't take it and receive it, then we are not really, then the, then the transaction has not been completed. It, it's a two-part process. We, we see that in, in the second half of, and look at verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, who, these people who received eternal life because they believed in his name were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. So in other words, not by their will but, or the will of man, but of God. There is, this, there is this interplay between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility that is beyond us. And God uses words like, and I, and I often will put up that picture of the dog that's walking on the stilt things, the dog trainer, and I talk about how the analogy is God is like the trainer and we're like the dog, except the, tr- except the reality of that analogy is we, are more, we have more in common with the dog than the trainer does with God. But what the trainer does is he uses words the dog can understand to get the dog trained to do what the dog's supposed to do. Because he's not going to explain the motivation behind the training because the dog does not have the mental capacity to care. So God uses words like predestined and called and elect and chosen because those are words that our feeble minds can get a, can get a glimpse of, can get our minds around. And we can divide them up and splice them out and go, well, this is really what foreknowledge means and this is really what... And, and the bottom line is, from God's real perspective... The trainer's real perspective, we the dog will not get what the words mean. The question becomes, when the word is spoken, do we behave the way we're supposed to? That's the question. When the trainer tells us, here's the word, do we believe it and act on it or not? That really is the question that is before us today. So are you confused? Good, me too. So let me confuse us even more. I'll ask you another question. Are you sanctified or have you been sanctified? Sanctified means holy, set apart for a holy purpose. So are you sanctified? Does the Bible teach that you're, as a believer in Christ, if you've come to Christ, are you sanctified or have you been sanctified? Well, in Hebrews, the answer actually is yes. The, the Hebrews chapter 10 says this, For by a single offering he has perfected, he has made perfect, he has, in a sense, sanctified for all time those who are being sanctified. Wait, what's that? How can we already be made perfect if we're still in the process of being more and more like Jesus Christ? Being more and more holy. Guys, the answer, as Jeff was saying, the answer to are you sanctified or have you been sanctified, the answer is yes. Here's here's the thing. We live in this tension of already We are already saved fully. We are already sanctified. We have already won because Christ won on the cross and he proved it by rising again. But we live in the not yet part. I am not yet fully conformed into his image. I am not yet free of this flesh. 
God always lives in the already. He, there's never not yet to God because he's outside of time. Right? I'm, I'm in this, okay, here's where I was. Here, I got born, I was 24 years old. I got saved at 24. So now, now I'm moving along. And I'm, I'm hopefully the, the general trend is upwards toward the following of Jesus. All of those moments are the same moment to God. He is, Doug, you, he is saying, Doug, you are already fully mine. You are already fully sanctified. Even though in your reality, dog, you are not yet fully there. That is the issue. How do I know that, guys? And, and this is why I'm taking the time on this, and I know I'm going to go over and, oh well. Here's, here's guys, some of, you, some of you are asking the question, why are we talking about this again? Here's why. Here's the number one reason why. Because uh, Jesus brought it up today. I didn't bring it up. Jesus brought it up. It's in the passage we're looking at. And at Cornerstone Church, we teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we don't skip the hard stuff. So when he says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, I don't know what to do with that without talking about it. But here's the other thing. It's not just because Jesus and I've got to suffer through it. Guys, this is a great truth that if we will get our minds around, this meaning the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, if we will get our minds around it as best our little minds can handle it, this is where we find our joy and our peace. How do I know that? Because we all love Romans 8, 28, and 31. We all love, for God works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, right? We all, we all I'm sorry, we all, we all love that, that verse. We also love the verse, verse 31, that if God is for us, no one who, who can be against us. We will claim those passages. We will say, God's got this. We will be all over it. We will be excited about those passages, right? For God works, I mean, you got, you're, you're counseling someone who's struggling with an issue in life. And many of our body, people in our body are struggling with issues of life. We all do at some point, right? And we look at them and we go, you know what, but, but, sweet, but sweet sister, God is working all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. That is true. But verses 28 and 31 are only true if verses 29 and 30 are true. Because the only way God could work all things together for good is if he is sovereign over every one of our days in between all those struggles. Paul puts it this way in Romans 29 and 30. For who he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he could be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Guys, we cannot have the promise of verses 28 and 31 if we don't believe in the truth of verses 29 and 30. If we don't believe in what is commonly called this golden chain of redemption, right, we cannot believe that God is, that, that no matter what's coming our way, no matter what the circumstance is, we cannot claim God's got this it, unless he's sovereign over it. Now, guys, we may disagree on how and this is, this is one of those distinctives of Cornerstone that we hold loosely. You do not have to believe in what is often termed the doctrine of election. And I don't like to use that term because it brings to mind a bunch of stuff that people teach very harshly, and it's not true um, the way they teach it. Um, and so I, I, don't, I, I, ha I hesitate to use labels, but you don't have to believe that to be a saved believer in Jesus Christ. You don't. It is one of those secondary things. You, the, the timeline of how the salvific process, salvation occurs, 
Guys, there is room to wrestle through that in the body of Christ. But what we must agree on is that God is always the initiator of our faith. What we must agree on is that God is always previous. Always. Here's why. Because anything short of that is to, den is to deny the beauty of the gospel. What is the gospel if we don't fully believe that God is the one that changes your heart? Why do we need the gospel? If I can do it, then that happened for nothing. That's what Paul tells us in, in Galatians chapter 2. Right? God is always the initiator of our salvation. We have to believe that if we really want to believe in the beauty of the gospel. There's a whole section, the toolkit, it's on the back, it's, in, it's on our connecting corner. Um, it, it's, got a, it's got a bunch of topics in it. One of them has got a whole section on the sovereignty of God. I invite you to look it up. I invite you to ask questions of the leadership if you have it. Um, but, but remember the question we're looking at today. Are you willing to follow even the hard things? Are you expecting to fully understand? In other words, am I expecting to fully understand what, what this process between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is in order to believe it. If you are, I don't know what to tell you because I, I don't. And, here's, and I'm in good company because, and I get here every time when we have this conversation. Paul writes the gospel in Romans. Takes 11 chapters. And where does he end it? Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can fully understand him? Who can give to him anything that he hasn't already given to you? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Paul gets to the end of it and he goes, you know what, guys? I don't get it either. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust that God is sovereign over every detail of my life. And yet I am free to make choices. That's the truth. As near as we can tell. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who believed in the doctrine of salvation, he believed in the doctrine of election, he believed in predestination, he said this. When people would ask him, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? He replied, I'd never try to reconcile friends. Augustine, who lived about 300 years after John, after Jesus died, one of the fathers of our faith, said this. Augustine said that we must pray as though all of it depended on God and work as though all of it depended on us. This biblical balance makes for blessing. So look at your be in community section. Kind of finishes up the point. It says, John 3.16 is so beautifully clear. Whomsoever believes, that's the whole world. That's a call to the whole world in John 3.16. Whomsoever believes in him will have eternal life. But Jesus also said, many are called, but few are chosen. That call goes out to all the world, and in the end, some will not be drawn all the way to eternal life in Christ. But what we know for certain is that when we get to heaven, we will realize that the justifier is completely just. Confused? Join the club. But conversations among believe the believing community is one of the ways the Lord helps bring clarity and strength, and, and strength to our knowledge of grace and truth. Let's learn to follow the hard things together. Guys, at this point, now this is why I said at the beginning, this is, this is the turning point of Jesus' message. Here it comes. These, these verses, we're going to go through them fairly rapidly to the end. Guys, at this point, so Jesus has been, for the first part of the Gospel of John, Jesus has been doing a lot of miracles. 
right? He turned the water into wine. He healed an old woman's son. Oh, by the way, he just did things like feed 5,000 and walk on the water. He is now going to shift from those, from those um, testifying events that were just showing the world, this is who I am. I am the I am. He is now going to shift to primarily trying to get 12 men to understand this is my plan for the world. So let's look at that. The problem is most of the people that were following him struggle to see past what's immediate. So the question for us is, do you struggle to see past what's immediate? So go back to John 6 and verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Here's what he's basically saying. Manna, Exodus 16, manna came to the Jews and provided physical life. God was physically sustaining you. I, Jesus, came to the world and I provide spiritual life. We are, guys, our biggest problem in being the dog is that we are eternal beings that get lost in today. We were created for eternity, but we get lost in the next few hours. That's our biggest problem in understanding God. The thing is, in every way, he has everything over us. But I, I've come to think, like, the, the thing that he has over us the most is eternal perspective. He sees it all at once and sees how it all fits together. We don't. Look at, John, look at verse 50. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, so the one who may eat of it will not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Do you see how Jesus is driving to a point? And the bread also which I give for one, one life in, in the, of the, for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus could have stopped there. He could have stopped and addressed it. He could have better clarified it. He doesn't. He just keeps going. Watch. Verse 53. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he's turning up the heat. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is too, true drink. Wait, what? What in the world is he talking about? Like, is he really talking? Now, there are people who, who teach that what that means is that when we take communion, the bread physically becomes his body, and the juice physically becomes his blood. That's not what he's talking about. He's driving them to a point. He's saying, my father provided bread for physical life. I provide myself in you for spiritual life. And they're going to miss the whole thing. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Like I said, we, the problem is we are these temporal beings it's why Paul talked about that so much. In, in um, 2 Corinthians, he talks about, for we look at the things that are not seen, because the things that are seen, this world, are temporal. They're passing away. But the things that are not seen are eternal. And he keeps reminding us of that. Look at verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue he taught in Capernaum, and there's some pictures of that synagogue going to come up on the screen from when I was in Israel in May. It says, therefore, many of his disciples, when, he, when they heard this, now get this, many of his disciples... When they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement, and who can listen to it? Well, yeah, he just said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. 
The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Do you see how important he puts in his word? My words are spirit and are life. But there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that, they're, that, that they, who they were who would not believe. And he's not just talking about Judas here. And who it was that would betray him. There he is. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him. There's that God's sovereignty thing again. Granted him from the Father. As a result of this, now get this guys, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and we're not walking with him anymore. Guys, they got so caught up in the details. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What is he talking about? I don't know what to do about that. I, they got so caught up in the details, they stopped seeing him for who he was. They stopped seeing him for, this is just the beautiful son of God. They didn't know him for that, so they walked away. Look at your engage in the call. It's the, it's the sort of now what. It says, Jesus came to set the record straight. And this included saying some hard things to hear. And as with him, speaking the truth will lead to rejection and persecution. And Dan prayed for that this morning as the persecuted church. But we cannot just say and share, or like and share the easy things. For our Savior said things like, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, God or money, choose one. Many are on the path to destruction, only few find life. Deny yourself and follow me. Love no one more than me. Expect to be hated. This encouraging list could go on and on. Are you still ready to engage in his call to be his disciple? Guys, the thing is, the church today, especially the church in America, part of why the persecuted church in those places, those 100,000, 100 million people that are being persecuted in those places all over the globe, part of why that's where the gospel is going forward with power is because they really believe it. Because you wouldn't die for it unless you really believed it. In America, we are so fat, dumb, and happy that we have turned following Christ into a culture club. And it's supposed to be a counter-cultural thing. He is saying in all these teachings and, and, and hundreds more that he taught that we are to live distinctly different. Following Jesus is not easy. It was not meant to be. But all of this, last week's message that Jeff shared, the passages we looked at so far are driving to one point, and we're going to finish with this. Are, Jesus has set this whole thing up, feeding the 5,000, walking on the water, telling this hard truth. He knew the people were going to leave him. He is, he is, very, he is not sitting there going, oh, where are you all going? Wait, come back. He has set this up for this moment. All of this. He has set this up for this moment. The question becomes, have you come to believe he is the Holy One of God. He drove the, these last few weeks of his ministry right to this place. Watch what happens. Look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, so everybody's left him. He turns around and he looks and he goes, there's only twelve of them left. And he says, and he says to them, you do not want to go away also, do you? Guys, Jesus asks the hard question. He says, guys, it's, it's easy. When I'm feeding the 5,000 and I'm walking on the water out to you and I'm a rock star and everybody's following me and you're in my inner circle and you're part of that group, it's easy to follow me. But what about when I rip the scab off of the wound because I really want to clean it out all the way? Or I rend open your heart because there's an idol in there that we need to get out. 
right? What if I ask you to give up stuff that you're not ready to give up? He's saying, are you still going to follow me? Do you still want to leave me also? Are you willing to follow the hard thing? Guys, get this. Jesus' church just imploded. He said some hard things and his numbers crashed to the bottom. In today's American church, that is unacceptable, but not here. Right? The question becomes, will, will your church, will our church stand on the truth, even the hard truth, even if it means we're not going to grow in numbers? Are we going to stand on a biblical view of marriage between one man and one woman? The answer is yes. Are we going to stand on the fact that God chooses gender and it's not our choice to make? The answer is yes. Are we going to believe that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him? The answer is yes. And if that's not culturally popular, and that's not going to grow Cornerstone Church, oh well. Look at what Simon Peter says. Lord, this is verse 68. To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what about you? What about you? Are you ready to say the hard thing in your school? Even if it costs you some friends. To say the hard thing in your place of employment, even if it costs you a promotion. To say the hard thing in your neighborhood, even if it causes ridicule. Right? It's easy to say the church should stand on those doctrines, but I'm going to hide behind that. Guys, I'll let you in a little secret. I am not the church. We are the church. Right? Each and every one of us. I am no more or less important than any one of you. The question is, he is asking each of us. He's turning around and he's saying, so what about you? Are you going to leave me too? When things get hard, when times get tough, when I say things that you either fully don't understand, which is a lot of it for me, or you just don't even like which is some of it for me, the question on the table is, not do I understand it, do I believe it? Let's pray.